Today on CityCast Denver. The city of Denver celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day yesterday. There were land acknowledgments, media spotlights on local community members, and a lot of talk about honoring our Indigenous neighbors. But over the past couple of months, a conflict has been playing out on the streets that reveals how much Mayor Hancock and the city really understand the unique perspective of our Indigenous community. Today is Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Mateo Parsons, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you for having me. Mateo Parsons chairs the board of the Four Winds American Indian Council. It's a service organization for indigenous people in Denver, located in what was once a Lutheran church in Baker. Can you talk about the history of Four Winds and how you all came to own that church? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually call ourselves a, an American Indian liberated zone. Um, and so by liberated zone, we mean that Four Winds is a facility where indigenous peoples are free to use the buildings for native empowerment without apology or explanation to the settler society that now surrounds us. So Four Winds is is one place in Denver where native people and all native people can speak their languages, participate in their ceremonies, strategize and organize for their liberation, and rebuild an empowered community. Um, And it's also, as you mentioned, an an example of of this concept of land back and decolonization. And it's one that's not simply a metaphor or a postmodern buzzword, but it actually takes place in practice. Um, So we are based in an old church in a parsonage that was previously owned and run by the Lutheran Church. Um, And in 2015, after visiting the site of the Sand Creek Massacre and being moved to take action for justice and reparations uh, by the spirits of the ancestors that were there waiting for them, the decision was made by the Synod Council of the Lutheran Church to return the land where the Native community has been gathering for decades to the stewardship of Four Winds American Indian Council. So we've now transformed the church's previous usages of conversion and assimilation to a vision of indigenous liberation and self-determination. That's amazing because I think the land back movement has gained more national or at least attention and traction in the last year or so, but this happened in 2015, right? Yes, yes. So it's it's really a, a, a unique example in Colorado, but also, you know, in the United States and all of North America. Mm-hmm. And I think it's helpful, too, for folks to – it's one thing to say land back. It's another thing to see it in action, I think. It's hard to picture what does that look like? How do we give back land? But this is exactly how it works. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's a it's a beautiful thing, and it's to me, it's it's more than just the land and the buildings. It's it's about freedom, um, and it's about healing, and it's about restoring, you know, our original our original relationships with the land and with each other to kind of break the chains of of colonization and oppression that. American Indians have been facing in this country for centuries. So um, I've driven past Four Winds American Indian Council many times. And something that's caught my eye recently is there's encampments all over the city. But um, a lot of the encampments are sort of in these in-between spaces in public space. But the Four Winds American Indian Council is, is essentially hosting an encampment. Can you talk about what's going on there? 
you know, American Indians and Alaska Natives are the most overrepresented demographic in Denver's homeless population, um, representing over 5% of all homeless people in the entire seven-county metro area and just under 6% in the city and county of Denver. So for context, our general population is under 1%. So that's a rate of homelessness that's between seven and seven and a half times greater than the size of our general population. Um, and so for the better part of about three months, there's been a consistent encampment of predominantly native unhoused people um, at the Four Winds property on Fifth and Bannock Streets in Denver. And as a part of our homeless survival program, uh, Sky Roosevelt Morris, a member of our council, has been providing daily material aid to these relatives and learning about their situations and struggles. Um, and so, you know, we've been providing the support to them because we recognize that there is nowhere else in the city for them to go. And um, our people have been rendered refugees in their own homelands. This is because of, you know, federal policies that have resulted in disproportionate rates of, of poverty and unemployment, um, as well as policies at the city level in terms of the urban camping ban and, um, you know, just the, the lack of uh, investment in the city in affordable housing and um, inclusive and culturally responsive resources for American Indians. So we come into this moment when a couple of months ago, you all got a notice that the city was planning a sweep of the indigenous folks camped outside Four Winds. How did that feel? Uh, it felt like a, a slap in the face, frankly. Um, you know, and we had been engaging in conversations with a lot of um, our unhoused relatives in that camp um, about, you know, their situations and their struggles. And in those conversations, um, you know, we learned that those folks actually wanted a, a protected, you know, native homeless camp in Denver. Um, this is important to to understand some of the context here because native people on the streets in Denver face a lot of violence that um, other unhoused people don't face. Um, and that's from housed people who threaten their camps and threaten pretty extreme violence against them, as well as other unhoused people um, and and you know, the, the Denver Police Department as well. And so um, there's a, a tendency of our people to kind of stick together um, for kinship, for community and culture, um, but also for safety, um, just to protect themselves from, from the outside. And so we had a preliminary meeting with an official from the city's Department of Housing Stability host, um, where the people in the camp were able to present that request directly to the city. And, you know, after the meeting, we thought there might be some hope that the city would take action on the proposal and, and deal with this situation with, with more humanity and grace than they've dealt with others in the past. Uh, but unfortunately, seven days later, the camp was posted with a notice that it was scheduled to be swept on August 31st. Um, and the city still at that point hadn't shown any willingness to address the concerns of, of our unhoused relatives in that camp. It's interesting to me, too, because, again, going back to Four Winds being a private space, essentially, and, and allowing for folks to be there. But the city said, essentially, that this was violating a zoning code, right? Um, yeah, so there's there's two separate things that happened. The camp was actually originally technically on the public right-of-way. Um, and so while we didn't have the authority to tell them they could or could not be there, uh, we certainly supported it. And, you know, that uh, those are members of our community um, that are seeking refuge at a place that um, has been deemed a refuge for, for Native people. Um, and I think it's important to, to kind of investigate a little bit 
how the city even got that public right of way in the first place. You know, there are a couple of treaties that are that are important in the city of Denver that actually recognize that most of the land in the city of Denver was never ceded via a treaty um, by any tribe. And so now they're asserting, you know, a public right of way over what is stolen native land and saying that, you know, native people don't have the right to camp there. So it's it's kind of like the the past coming back to haunt us once again. It's interesting, too, because you're calling to agreements made between white folks and indigenous folks prior to zoning code existing, right? It's the same land, you know? Absolutely. I know you all moved the encampment away from the public right of way, but what else did you do before the planned sweep at the end of August? So immediately after we got the notice uh, that the sweep was going to happen, uh, we requested a meeting with Mayor Hancock. Um, We also organized a grassroots letter writing campaign to pressure the mayor and the city to stop the sweep establish a native inclusive SOS camp. And that's SOS as in safe outdoor spaces, the city sanctioned outdoor camping spots. Mm -hmm. Um, As well as provide the Denver native community with financial and political support uh, for long-term housing solutions. Um, And we had our meeting with the mayor on August 30th, the day before the sweep. And despite some compelling and emotional testimony from our unhoused relatives, as well as other community members, um, in addition to a a good faith effort to try to meet the mayor halfway and try to negotiate a mutually agreeable solution, uh, Mayor Hancock altogether refused to negotiate on stopping the sweep. So this camp was swept on Monday, on the morning of, of August 31st. This morning, fencing went up around a homeless camp in Denver before its removal. It's set up right by the Four Winds American Indian Council on Fifth Avenue and Bannock Street. Copter four over that handful of police officers down there standing outside those fences. And we also asked the mayor if he'd be willing to visit the camp before the sweep to break bread and meet the people and hear their stories. Um, And he refused. And so we asked him why. And he said, well, actually, I can't do that because I'm on vacation right now. What happened when the mayor got back from vacation after this short break and a word from our sponsor? This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So Mayor Hancock didn't stop the sweep outside Four Winds on August 31st, but Did anything positive come out of your talks with his office? Um, So the silver lining of that meeting was that, at the very least, uh, the mayor did express his support for a native-inclusive SOS site. Um, But like I said, the the suite moved forward the the next morning. And so, you know, since then, it's it's been, you know, kind of a, a contentious situation where, 
you know, all we were doing was trying to put a microphone to the needs and, and desires and, and concerns of unhoused people who are native on the streets of Denver. Um, and it seems like the city has been, has not taken kindly to that and has been um, interested in, in intimidating us to get us to stop doing that advocacy. Speaking of that and this idea of the safe outdoor space, you talked earlier about this request for a native preference in a safe outdoor space. What does that mean or, or what would that mean for your community? I think it would be, um, it would be huge. I think it's, it's a stepping stone to uh, future solutions that uh, address the unique needs that our community has. You know, this is going to be one camp. At most, it's, it's probably going to accommodate 50 people. Um, and so, you know, based on the statistics, we know that there are a lot more unhoused Native people across the city. Um, and so, like I said, this is a first step, but this is also the first time that I think our community has seen the city of Denver being willing to um, really address the the conditions that we're facing, um, the economic and, and physical conditions that we're facing. And so I think um, I think we're hoping that in the future, this is going to provide us some leverage um, to go after bigger solutions um, and, and hopefully partner with the city of Denver on those solutions. Is there precedent for this in other cities that you know of, of like creating space, safe spaces for um, Native people? Absolutely. Um, I think there's, there's examples in Seattle and Phoenix and Minneapolis, but I think in, in Rapid City is probably the, the best example. Um, there is a, an encampment of uh, predominantly Native unhoused people in Rapid City. Um, it's called Camp Mini Lusaha, and um, it's actually run by uh, an organization called the Creek Patrol, um, and it's funded by a foundation called the NDN Collective. Um, and so they've been able to create this space for Native people and and make sure that you know unhoused people are are not only having a place to rest at night but also that they're connected to the broader community and they're connected to the resources that are available to them and the services that are available to them so they're not falling through the cracks so that they're they're safe and they're in kinship and community and have cultural connections that can help support them um, where they need it most so beyond a safe outdoor space what would be your ideal resolution to this situation? I think we need housing. Um, that's, that's what our community needs. And, you know, I mentioned a couple of cities that have examples of creating, you know, safe spaces for Native people. Um, and those same cities also have housing. They have housing projects that are dedicated to either being inclusive for Native people or actually being Indian preference. Um, and so that's a designation that comes from an old Supreme Court case, um, that basically said that under the Fifth Amendment, because of the treaty obligations that uh, the federal government has with American Indians, um, that American Indians are afforded a, a special political status that is different than race. It transcends race. Um, and so because of that, they've been able in Minneapolis um, to establish a, a housing project that is actually Indian preference. And it's the only Indian preference housing project um, that's funded by HUD and is a Section 8 project. Um, that is Indian preference. And so um, I think we need to start thinking outside of the box like that for the city of Denver um, and, and looking at ways for the city of Denver to partner with our community and really invest the resources and the time um, and, and the political capital to making those kinds of things happen. 
Mateo, thank you so much for talking with me today. Absolutely. Thank you. Mateo says that Four Winds has reached out to the mayor's office to continue their discussion about a possible native preference safe outdoor space, and that they're already in touch with the Colorado Village Collaborative, which runs the SOS program. We reached out to the mayor's office and the Department of Housing Stability for comment, and hosts let us know what kind of support they offered to residents of the encampment outside Four Winds, which included placing five individuals in safe outdoor spaces. They also say they have worked on, quote, visioning efforts related to future SOS sites. A spokesperson for the mayor told us that Hancock has been very clear that unsanctioned encampments cannot persist when better options remain available, and reiterated the city's efforts to connect the residents of this particular camp with appropriate services. The mayor's office did not comment on the possibility of a native preference safe outdoor space. We'll put their full responses in the show notes for this episode. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. You know that restaurant, Teriyaki Madness? Apparently, they're closing the one downtown. According to the Denver Post, CEO Michael Haith stated that our houseless neighbors were the reason his business failed. Haith said, quote, The homeless issue down in that area was unsafe. We had a terrible time operating the restaurant, and we didn't see any end in sight. I will not mince words. Well, Mr. Haith, I will also choose not to mince words when I say that if you are blaming houseless people for the reason your business failed, maybe look around at the business itself, take note of current economic conditions in downtown areas, and remember the fact that we're still in a global pandemic. A little self-awareness goes a long way. Oh, and I've been to Teriyaki Madness. The food sucks. That might be part of your problem. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We also want to shout out listener Max from Mutiny Information Cafe. Thanks for supporting the show. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Brie roasts a crappy fast casual chain. <laughs> oh.